Thanks, worship team. And yeah, great job just helping us just focus in on Jesus. Because imagine that scripture is focused on Jesus today. It'll be fun. I'm excited about this one. This is good. But before we get into 2 Timothy 2, I want to share a little bit about the life of Hudson Taylor. Easily one of the most notable missionaries of all time. And this is told by Avery Folly and Mariah Smith. So in 1832, a baby boy was born in England to Christian parents who prayed to God, grant that he may work for you in China. This baby was James Hudson Taylor. Even growing up in a Christian home, Hudson didn't believe the teachings of the Bible until he was 17 years old. His decision to follow Jesus came one month after his sister decided to pray every day for him. And at that point, he felt God call him to China as a missionary to millions of people who had never heard of Christ. After feeling God's call, Hudson immediately began preparing for the task. He started learning Mandarin Chinese and studied medicine so he could meet people's physical needs. To prepare himself for the hardships to come, he lived on oatmeal and rice and gave away most of his things, trusting God to provide for him. When he was 21, he sailed for China, joining the handful of missionaries serving that nation. Soon after arriving, Hudson realized the Chinese weren't listening to the British missionaries because they looked so strange with their foreign clothes and strange haircuts. So, Hudson dressed in, a chi- in Chinese clothes and wore his hair in a pigtail, a long braid down the back like the Chinese men. Many of the other missionaries were shocked, but Hudson's plan worked. People started listening. In 1860, Hudson became very ill and had to travel back to Britain. While he recovered, he shared the spiritual needs of the Chinese with other Christians, asking God for more missionaries to reach the inland of China instead of just the coast. He also continued translating the Bible into Chinese. Hudson was upset by how little the English people seemed to care for the people of China. and So to address the issue, he wrote a book titled China, Its Spiritual Needs and Claims. To help reach people deep inside China with the gospel, Hudson started the China Inland Mission. Sixteen missionaries signed up with the new China Inland Mission and left with Hudson for China. To join the China Inland Mission, missionaries had to agree to wear Chinese clothing and hairstyles. They could not accept a salary or ask people for money, but trust God to meet their needs. And God did. The little mission grew, and by the time Hudson died, There were 825 missionaries serving in every province of China, 300 mission stations, 500 local Chinese helpers, and over 25,000 new Chinese converts. It cost Hudson a lot to share the gospel in China. His first wife died young, and four of his eight children passed away at young ages. Hudson himself suffered from bad health and depression, but Hudson knew his work was important and that anything done for Jesus was worth it. The gospel had come to China and the church is still growing and flourishing because of the sacrifice and efforts of people like Hudson Taylor. Well worth looking more into. That's just surface. We're just touching the surface on Hudson Taylor's life. You can describe his life and his mission in a lot of different ways, but in a word, you could say that he endured. 
He did a lot of great things, but notice, he got sick, so he came back to Britain, and while he's there, he writes a book just to motivate people to go to China and reach them for Christ. He didn't stop. He didn't let sickness, depression, anything, the death of half of his children, he didn't let any of that stop him from doing what God had called him to do, to do. And so he is an incredible picture of what our passage today is all about, endurance. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13, you're going to see very clearly this is the main theme. This is what Paul is trying to tell Timothy and the church and us today as a church today. Endure. So let's read it. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffered to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Twice in there, endure. And that's the theme here. That's what Paul did. That's what he emulated, endurance. Now this word endure can be encapsulated by this. Commentator Robert Yarbrough said, It's used 16 times by Paul in Scripture, this word. And Paul understood and modeled a pursuit of God and service for God that called for stamina, risk-taking in light of often adverse circumstances, steadiness, and consistency. So notice that definition. Endurance, this word that Paul's saying in here and this concept that he lived out isn't hanging on by a thread and just barely making it. No, It's pursuit of God with both steadiness and risk-taking. That's what Hudson Taylor did. That's what Paul did. That's what he's telling Timothy and us to do. Not just get by. Don't just hang in there. Yes, do that. But go for it. Go for it. This This is a high calling. But remember, remember Paul and his circumstances in 2 Timothy. He's imprisoned for following Jesus. He's about to die for following Jesus. He's in a hostile environment in Rome, in prison. And who's in charge? The psychopath Emperor Nero, who's killing Christians for fun. So this is not a call to this back-breaking, heart-wrenching task of endurance from someone who didn't live it out himself. This is from Paul, who ate, drank, and slept endurance. So we really need to listen up. So how do we go about enduring in this dark world? Verses 8 and 9, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. How do we endure? We remember Jesus Christ and his victory. Everything Paul tells Timothy to remember here about Jesus is ultimately about Jesus' victory. We can go through anything. 
Because Jesus guaranteed that hardship one day will produce victory. So we keep remembering Jesus because he endured and came out victorious. And we are following him so the same will be true for us. But I don't want the simplicity of of the first two words of this verse to get lost here. How can we endure persecution? Remember Jesus. Let those two words just ring in your mind and your soul this week. Remember Jesus. How can you endure even every day more more quote-unquote trivial trials? Remember Jesus. How can we endure intense trials and suffering? Remember Jesus. How can we endure in a world that's so messed up? Remember Jesus. Now what about Jesus and his victory should we remember specifically? Well, he goes on. Remember, we need to remember Jesus' victory over death. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now notice, he doesn't just say remember Jesus. He says remember Jesus Christ. Christ is a term that means the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. It's pointing to the fact that he wasn't just victorious through his resurrection, but this is a subtle nod to Jesus' life and death that were full of suffering. So again, endure by remembering Jesus' endurance, but also endure by remembering that he rose from the dead. So I know, I know even especially in a church setting. We hear this a lot, and we celebrate this a lot. We should. We, we try to celebrate his death and resurrection every time we meet. But don't let it get lost on you. Jesus physically rose from the dead, and he is still alive and right here with us today. Jesus is alive today. Remember, he says, this is what Paul is saying. Hey, Timothy, remember today, whatever you're facing, Jesus is there. Church, whatever you're facing, Jesus is there. So here's why it's so critical to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. Sin, death, and the devil were conquered in one definitive act. And sin, death, and the devil are all ticking time bombs until Jesus comes back again. So let me make this a little more personal and practical and everyday. Remembering Jesus risen from the dead. So when you're feeling overwhelmed to just give in to sin, remember that Jesus defeated sin by rising from the dead. One day, you won't be tempted by sin anymore. And so giving into that sin right now is living defeated. When the reality is that you can be victorious now because Jesus was victorious over death. You don't have to give in to that sin. Let that just free you to walk in that victory that was already purchased. When you're feeling worried, when you're feeling anxious or afraid, remember that Jesus won your ultimate security by rising from the dead. One day you will not experience worry or fear or anxiety ever again. And now, because Jesus is alive, he is with you. And so that doesn't mean you won't feel anxious or fearful right now, but he is walking moment by moment with you through that. The difference is the truth, the reality. He is there with you. Feelings say wacky things to us all the time. But the truth 
is that peace himself is with you. When you're feeling worthless, when you're feeling down, Jesus made us his sons and daughters by rising from the dead. If you have repented of your sin, trusted in him, believed in him, you are his son or his daughter, and one day you're going to experience perpetual joy and peace with Jesus. And now not only did God not create junk because you're made in his image, he made you his child. Even though you weren't worthy to be made his child, he did anyway. And it's normal to feel worthless and down about ourselves here on this earth. That is normal. Apart from Jesus, this is a depressing place to live. And it's a depressing life. But because Jesus is alive, you are his son or his daughter and you have infinite worth. Now let me, let me make something clear. Some of the struggles that I just mentioned are not magically fixed and wiped away by remembering Jesus. I think a lot of Christians, well-intended, have been not helpful to people in general in a very Christ-like way, honestly, by just saying, just remember Jesus. Just pray more. We're holistic beings, and God created us that way. We need physical rest. We need exercise, water, sleep proper diet. We need emotional support. You need friends. You need mentors. You need counselors. That's what Tim was talking about last week. We need Paul's. We need Timothy's. You may even need some mental help for a season with therapy or pills. Nothing to be ashamed of there. I understand all of that fully. Here's what I'm saying. Just don't neglect the most important basic need that you have. Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's how you endure in this world of chaos. What else should we remember specifically about Jesus and his victory? Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and descended from David. So he's saying you need to remember Jesus' fulfillment of prophecy and of promises. Jesus was victorious by fulfilling the promises he made to David's lineage. He made promises to David several times, but most poignantly in 2 Samuel 7, 16, it says, Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. So, who is he talking about here when he's talking to David, making him these promises. Obviously not David. David died. Obviously not his son Solomon. He died. He's promising that someone will reign victorious forever in the lineage of David. Who was it? Only God could do that. He fulfilled it through Jesus coming, dying, and rising from the dead, and nothing can or will take that throne from Jesus. Jesus can be counted on. He does what he says he will do. He is faithful. So this, this isn't a throwaway phrase, descended from David. No, he, it proves he's faithful. Remember Jesus' resurrection by remembering Jesus' faithfulness. This will give you greater resolve to endure. But also in this one little line, descended from David, 
Here's what else we we should remember about Jesus and his victory. We need to remember that he is the greater king, David. He's not just fulfilling prophecy. Jesus took the throne from arguably the greatest king this world has ever seen and now is an infinitely better king. David, a man after God's own heart, Scripture says. A godly, wise leader. But do you remember David's mistakes? The dude committed adultery and then tried to cover it up with murder. Not only does Jesus not have those blemishes on his record, any way that King David led well as a king, Jesus leads and reigns better. Jesus' victory secures us a king and a leader that's infinitely better than any leader you've ever had or will ever have in this world. Remember, Jesus is the greater King David. All hail King Jesus. Amen. What else should we remember specifically about Jesus and his victory? Well, we should remember Jesus' victory is certain and it's unshakable. Verses 8 and 9 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Paul was being unjustly bound like a criminal in jail and being tortured. But Paul remembered Jesus' victorious victory over death. And that propelled him to say, but the word of God is not bound. So, one of the silliest lines in a movie, in my opinion. If you like this line, great. Enjoy it. He's in one of the Avengers movies, and uh, love those movies, by the way. Not trying to knock the movies, but this tainted it a little bit for me. But Thanos, the villain, goes, I am inevitable. And I almost laughed in the theater. Like, it was just like, oh my gosh, why, why? But he says, I am inevitable. But in a very serious, real way. When life is going south because Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you're just going through it in life. Hear him say, you know what? I'm inevitable. The word of God is not bound. That's how we endure. You see, God's purposes are not shaken by any amount of suffering or trial that you endure. You can't hold back the victory of Jesus because it was already secured when he rose from the dead. And so Paul's saying, do whatever you want to me. Kill me if you want. Whip me. I don't care because the word of God is not bound. You can't hold Jesus down to do whatever you want to me. We can endure too. Because Jesus' victory is certain and it's unshakable. That will get you through the worst of it on this planet. Why do we endure though? Verse 10, Paul answers that very clearly. This is why I endure all things for the elect. So that they may also, also may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's why we endure. He's saying... 
so that he can be an example for other people so that people would be saved. Paul endured anything and everything so that those that God chose, his elect, would turn to Christ and be saved. He didn't do it just so he would receive personal comfort and joy in heaven. He did it so that others would join him in heaven too. Paul was selfless. So Paul sets an example for Timothy and the church in Ephesus and for the church today. Paul knew that him being relentless and steadfastly faithful to Jesus would inspire many others to do the same regardless of the cost. Look, this is why we endure as well. Your endurance will set an example that others can't deny and cause them to repent and believe in Jesus. And you may never even see it happen in your lifetime. Realize that Paul says this in this letter, dies shortly after. He doesn't get to see the fruit of that. But he's confident that people will be saved because he endured. And you can be as well. Why do we endure? To be an example for, for others so that people are saved. Rest assured, endurance is contagious. Why else do we endure? Verse 11 and the beginning of verse 12. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So here's what he's saying. Why do we endure? Because paradoxically, death produces life. We endure because that's the pattern Christ showed us. You want to really live, you've got to die first. Jesus did that. Why would it be any different for us? So here's what this means. It means daily denying and dying to our selfish desires. That's what actually produces the most life-giving, joyful way of living now. So that means on your day off, getting up off your couch to go help someone will actually be way more fulfilling. Why? Because it's death to selfishness. That's real living. Death produces life. It means daily dying to and denying what seems most comfortable and easy to us. That actually produces the greatest ease of mind and soul. So pushing through the fear and actually inviting someone to church, pushing through the fear and actually talking about Jesus with others, pushing through the fear and praying with or for someone actually produces a comfort and an ease of mind that you wouldn't have if you decided just to be quiet. By the way, doing some interesting research lately that I'd love to share with you if, you if you want it. But stats say that most people would come to church if you just asked them. This is why we endure. Death produces life. Dying to ourself daily actually produces real living. Here's Here's why we endure as well. Verse 12, suffering means we'll reign. So he's describing here heaven. And in Revelation 5.10, in describing heaven, it says you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. So earth will be made completely new. That will be heaven. In the end, when Jesus comes back, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And will reign on the earth. 
Now, we don't get an explanation of what this will look like in Scripture. But it seems like each of us are going to get a piece of heaven to reign over. Obviously, God will be the ultimate king reigning over us. But here's the point. Whatever we have to endure here, one day will be exchanged, not just for relief from suffering, which can't be overstated, right? No more pain, uninterrupted peace. But not just that. We will also be princes and princesses of our own realm. This is why we endure. Suffering doesn't just produce not suffering later. It produces us reigning. He ends this section with a warning and then with a comfort. And that over and over is the message of God in Scripture to, to us. As, as you read Scripture, he goes, hey, watch out. Watch out. Avoid this. But hey, here's some real hope and comfort for you as well. So let's start with the warning. End of verse 12. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Denial equals denial. Denial means this. It means complete rejection of Christ. Saying, yes, I know Jesus died and rose from the dead, but I don't care. I don't give a rip about him and I don't want him. Not merely saying it. Having your heart totally believing it as well. Paul's warning Timothy to not reject Christ and tells him to warn others not to do it as well. Now, you know what's strangely comforting even about this warning? If you're worried about rejecting or denying Jesus, I almost guarantee you, you won't. If you care enough about denying him that you're worried about denying him, your heart of hearts is probably not capable of that. But it's a warning nonetheless. If you deny Jesus, he'll deny you. It's unnerving. Should be. That's the point. That's a warning. But here's the comfort. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Faithlessness produces faithfulness. Here's the comfort. We're still human. I'm still just a man. You're still just a person. At times, we don't trust God like we should. That's what faith is. Trust. Sometimes we just don't trust in God fully. At times, our lack of trust causes us to do things that we don't want to do. Sin. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. At times, our lack of trust gets us doubting what God says. At times, our lack of trust gets us doubting the goodness of God. At times, our lack of trust gets us doubting that God is even there. You would expect from that level of faithlessness that God would go, see ya, I'm done with you. But that's not what the scripture says. Unexpectedly, God responds to our boneheaded distrust with faithfulness. Why? Well, isn't that the good news? Isn't that the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? While we still distrust and doubt sometimes, he remains faithful. Why? Because God is faithful. That's who he is. 
He can't deny himself, as the scripture says. So there's a difference between the end of verse 12 and verse 13. It's doubt versus denial. This isn't a contradiction. Denial is all-out rejection of Christ at our core. In verse 13, doubt, though, is the normal tendency of all of us from time to time. These aren't contradictory. It's rather differentiation between hating Jesus and, and having trust issues with him on occasion. Very different things. But this reassurance and comfort isn't meant to give us a license to go sin. It's actually meant to do the opposite. It's meant to motivate us to be more faithful. If even my own doubts and your own doubts and distrust can't shake God's faithfulness to you, then man, I'm going to endure and be faithful like never before because even if I screw up, he's still got me? What is that? Let's just go for it then, right? Let's go. Let me end by sharing a quote from Hudson Taylor, the guy, the missionary I was talking about at the beginning of this message. So beautiful. It's on the screen for you. It is not by trying to be faithful, but in looking to the faithful one that we win the victory. Let that ring in your soul this week. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to just keep looking to you, the faithful one, and that that would propel us to endure and defeat sin struggles in our lives. And give us the strength to walk through hardship. Give us the courage to tell others about Jesus. And give us the strength to reach out for help when we're struggling internally. Jesus, thank you for the victory that we have because you rose from the dead. Help us not to take it for granted, but more than that, let it propel us to do incredible things for you. Not because of our faithfulness, but because of your faithfulness, Jesus. I pray that you would raise up Hudson Taylors from among us. I pray that you would raise up people among us to do incredible things, but I pray also, Jesus, that you would raise up people who are faithful right where you've planted them, Lord. Get out of our minds this rock star version of Christian where we have to be a Hudson Taylor to do things significant for Jesus. Help us wherever we're planted right now to make little steps of faith that would reverberate into eternity for years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.